and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, from the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State, coming to you live from room 420 inside of Diffenbaugh. Save your jokes at the door. I am your host, Nicholas Carlisle, somehow managing to get sick twice in the span of four weeks. That's a real accomplishment there, bud. It's, 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 almost, it's almost as incredible as the bowl streak for Florida State. <laughs> why why you got to throw that back in there? I, I, I mean, thought we were past this. I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm your host, Nicholas Carlisle, bringing you the latest, greatest in Florida State. It's in everything sports, or at least as much as we can fit within the hour for people all around the world. Of course, you can find us on Twitter at talk underscore tomahawk jenny is on the twitter handle tonight and you can call into the show at 850-644-1837 that is 850-644-1837 well folks it's that time of year the christmas lights are up in the studio but for the show it's the annual potluck show of tomahawk talk and what i mean by that uh is it's the one holiday show a year where it seems like everything is happening and nothing is happening at all there is a lot happening in the world of sports but no one thing kind of trumps the other so it all kind of meshes together and we get a show where we have a little bit of everything nfl nhl nba mlb florida state football basketball for men and women literally everything and everything that has stuff going on right now has a spot on the show a figurative potluck of sports talk and we are going to try and get through all of it tonight. So let's not waste any more time and introduce the panel. What I want from you all tonight, since we are inching ever so closely to Christmas, I want to know what your favorite Christmas gift has been up to this point. What is a cabin without his crew? I am joined by Mike Peterson, returning to the show for the first time in a long time. How are you doing, bud? Good. How about you? I'm doing all right. You know, feeling a little bit under the weather, but still, still feeling pretty happy. It's finals week. I'm excited to get everything over with. Mm. And what would I be without my co-host and good friend, Mr. Chris Camacho? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Well, that was a... I'm just messing with you. Like <laughs> we're just, we're all jokes. We're all jokes here. around here. So I, I, I kind of uh, glossed over it, but Mike, what's what's your favorite Christmas gift you've ever received? Probably... Uh, a Jock Peterson Los Angeles Dodgers jersey. So, oh, wow. so stri- sticking straight to the sports gifts here. Got to. Okay. And then, okay. Chris, what about for you? Favorite Christmas gift I've mm-hmm. gotten? I can tell you what I'm going to wish for this year. I wish that my chair wasn't as squeaky. I'm going <laughs> to ask for a new chair from Santa Claus, also known Better as Misha. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Favorite Christmas gift? Uh, well, I remember getting a Nintendo DS when I was a lot younger. And that was... That was something. That was I, something. That, that's no, funny. no. I appreciate that because I remember getting an iPod, like one of the, the iPod touches for hmm. uh, the first time. That was when you know it's hard to think of you know the iPod <laughs> touch as something revolutionary in a world that we live in today. But right. I remember getting the iPod, and it was blowing my mind. It's like I don't have to you know stick a CD in to play this. It, it was incredible. Did you have a Walkman? I didn't know. No, 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 no. What no, year no. were you? No. <laughs> oh, you're going to make me go for years. So you can't just accept this at face value. <laughs> yeah, but then there's also that. And then I, 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 a couple years ago, I got a gigantic Florida State uh, logo um, all carved in wood and that I hang up on my wall in my bedroom. It's really cool. Actually, and, you know what? I'd like to change my answer. Oh, okay. Because, of course, as we get to talking is when I start thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my favorite gift I got was actually it's a little four track recorder. I'm a musician, play guitar, and as a as a songwriter, I have it's this little device called a Tascam 
and I get to record four different tracks and make my songs and i just remember it's been it's been a nifty little little tool that i use uh-huh. that's where he uh, recorded wonderwall for the first time exactly <laughs> i don't really know any other songs but uh, uh, if you want to hear wonderwall i'm your guy. uh stairway to heaven uh and making his return to the panel as well uh for the first time in a while mr stewart getting how are you i'm doing well and as i say every single week go jags <laughs> every single week Absolutely. even 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 this past week of course. Of course. Do vault till we die. <laughs> and your favorite Christmas gift. Favorite Christmas gift. Uh, a couple of years ago, his rookie season, I got Jalen Ramsey's jersey uh-huh. for Christmas, which uh, I later got signed by Jalen Ramsey himself when he came to Florida State wow. for like a return weekend. That's cool. Now, see here, uh, there's kind of an error in that the two, the host and the co-host are thinking of material things and the panelists who are, are actually thinking of all the sports things. Uh, Chris Camacho, Stuart Gidding, and once again, oh, excuse me, we forgot Mike Peterson, Stuart Gidding, Mike Peterson, and once again, I am your host, Nick Carlisle, and we are starting off the top, which if you don't know by now, is the segment where I take a look at the biggest stories in the past week of sports and then ask the panelists about them, forcing them to come up with the answers off the top of their head at the top of the show, and this week, we are going to be talking some NHL, and I'm not looking behind me right now, but I know that Sebastian has his jaw on the floor and is dancing in the production booth. I can, I, I heard some thuds. He, he he's moving around. His face to the, <laughs> to the wall. <laughs> uh, uh, but I know that Sebastian is really excited that we that we're going to talk about hockey on the show. But last week, the NHL Board of Governors unanimously voted to approve the league's expansion to 32 teams, and this 32nd team will be hosted by the city of Seattle and is expected to begin play in the 2021-2022 season and is championed as a team that will make the NHL more balanced, whole, and vibrant. Guys, this was kind of a surprise to a lot of people, not because people were against any kind of expansion, but I don't think many people were expecting anything at all. And this this kind of came out of nowhere, but... You have a fantastic sports city in Seattle. I think hockey is really becoming a rising sport again, and I'm curious to know your thoughts on the expansion team, what name you think the team is going to be called, and what this means for the NHL, Chris. Well, actually, Seattle had... They they, they, they did. They had a hockey team. The last time they had a hockey team was 1917. It's been 100 years. And they were actually the first NHL team, the first American NHL team to win the Stanley Cup which I thought was kind of interesting. So I think bringing a revitalization of that hockey legacy, bringing that back, I'm really excited. Maybe as somebody who has a slight case of OCD, bringing it to an even number of 32 teams is <laughs> is really kind of refreshing. Um, so I can't say I'm surprised. You're right. Seattle is an amazing sports city. Um, but with the revival of some sport history in that town, I can guarantee you people from Seattle also want to see an NBA team come back as well. Absolutely. Did you did you get a chance to see the names that were up on the the petition board? I did they, not. They're not the fun. There there was a couple of good ones. Well, we'll see uh, if the other panelists have any guesses. Mike, what do you think? Uh, I really like Seattle as a sports town, like you said, Chris. I mean, um, ever since uh, the SuperSonics left and went to Oklahoma City, this town hasn't been the same. Um, and you also look at what happened in Las Vegas um, with the Knights and just the incredible season they had last year going all the way to the Stanley Cup. Expansion teams are on the rise. And so my prediction is they will be called the Seattle Scorpions. Scorpions. Interesting. Where, Interesting. Do, you, where do you get that from? Drake. Drake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you, Stuart? Um, you know, I'm a big, big hockey guy, so I got a lot of opinions on that. But uh, – uh, I'm going to go with the Seattle Kraken. 
I think that's a cool out of the 13 possibilities. That's one of the coolest options. And uh, talking about expansion, it actually reminds me of the uh, ECHL expansion back in uh, 2017 when the Jacksonville Icemen uh, came to Jacks, another great sports town. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I agree with the uh, the crack, and that was the name that's, that jumped out to me on the page. I think this is really fantastic for the city of Seattle, first and foremost, but I think what really shocked me was uh, that the city got an NHL franchise before, as you said, Mike, the, the city got the return of the Seattle Supersonics, which we've been hearing rumblings for years and years now, and I think that uh, Seattle will eventually get back the Supersonics maybe sometime after the new NHL team gets settled and situated, maybe around the same time. That'd be uh, that would be really awesome to see. But I just think Seattle is a fantastic city overall. Now, certainly it's not the sunniest place to go and live, but uh, I think that certainly leads itself to sports like basketball and hockey where everything is played inside <laughs> and what have you. But as, as great as all this is, this, this wouldn't be happening, I don't think, as fast as it, ha it, that is it, 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 excuse me, is it is now if the Las Vegas Golden Knights didn't have that unprecedented Cinderella story of a first season in the league. And, I mean, if you want to talk about a team overachieving, talk about a team making the Stanley Cup Finals in its inaugural season, and I'm here sitting a Panthers fan, and we can hardly make the playoffs. But uh, the fact that this was a unanimous vote to add a team shows me that, for one, everybody's on the same page. But, two, it shows me that everybody wants to capitalize and try to duplicate what happened with the Knights uh, for Seattle. Will they do that? I don't think so, just because of how absurd that first season was for the Knights, if you think about it. Mm -hmm. But it's just... It's not just that, because I do think as well that at the end of the day, hockey may not be the fastest growing sport in the world, because I think basketball has been waving that flag for a few years now. But I do think that the sport itself is coming back into relevancy. And you have to commend the Board of Governors and the NHL for taking advantage of this opportunity. And I think that we will see the, the Seattle Kraken or the Seattle War Eagles. Or the Seattle Sockeyes. The Sockeyes. Which is a salmon I just looked up. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever they end up being called. Uh, it'll be a big next step for hockey. So that I'm was sorry, the. Could you imagine the Seattle Whales? This I I and, and as much as and as much as I I understand it really rolls off the tongue. <laughs> as much as I understand the cultural relevancy of the Seattle Totems, it just doesn't sound catchy. Not like that. And uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, Totem the Seattle Totems is right now predicted the, to be the most likely name. Oh, uh, nothing inspires fear like a, a block of wood. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm sure. I'm sure that. I mean, it. Obviously, there's a whole bunch of cultural um, and, and social stuff that goes into that. But yeah, uh, how's uh, Twitter I, responding to that name? What's that? Is Twitter responding positively to totems, or uh, is that? I, a, I haven't. That I haven't issue? dug that far, Chris. That's your homework. That's yeah. Uh, so that was the off the talk segment, sponsored by me, brought to you by me, answered by our panel. Well. Now that we got our one hockey segment per year out of the way, uh, on to Florida State men's basketball. Well, uh, on the road this past week after defeating the Detroit Trojans 83-67 to at home right after last week's show, they took on the UConn Huskies in the second game of the Never Forget Classic. The Knowles beating the Huskies 79-71 to in what was a closer game than the final score would indicate. I know eight points isn't a terribly large margin of victory anyway in basketball, but this was a game that seemed to be broken wide open just after the halftime as the Knowles were out to a, uh, I believe, a 49-34 to lead with about 17 minutes to play. The Huskies come back strong to bring it within five uh, with a minute and 17 seconds left, but free throws put the nail in the coffin for the Huskies. In what all things considered, Chris, I think was Florida State's strongest game of the season so far. This UConn game, you yes, think, is the strongest game? Yes, I think so. Game? Interesting. I, I'm, I'm curious to know 
to know why why you feel that way. Though. I th- I think it's just because the quality of defense that this team was mm-hmm. facing. Sure, the win against Purdue was really good, especially after coming off a loss to Villanova, and that there is an argument to be made for that. But when you take a look at what this UConn team is, how similar it is to Florida State, very physical very man-on-man defense you have to make shots to beat this this basketball team and they were able to do that I, do you not agree i'm I, my concern is more with the offensive production I, I think just the slow start that florida state had in the beginning um i don't have the exact number in front of me but it's just it just didn't seem actually i do have it up now and florida state was 25 of 55 from the field which i mean is is decent i think that's shooting 45 45 percent just about but um you're right with a lot of these teams you're gonna need a lot more than that eight point margin like once acc play starts coming up when you're playing virginia duke an eight point margin just isn't gonna do it and granted not not to say you're you're not gonna blow out teams like virginia or duke or anything like that but that ability to produce offensively is gonna be is gonna be essential this was a this was a game in which both teams combined for 53 fouls which Mm is a lot of fouls, <laughs> yeah. uh, especially for college basketball. This was a very tightly called game, and it turned out to be the game that they needed to make shots, uh, and they did. Uh, eventually, this game was a game that could have gone the other way, really. Right, Mike? Definitely. You... I mean, it, it was sloppy, I'd say, also for Florida State. We had 22 turnovers on the night, but um, it was just one of those next-man-up kind of deals where Chris Kamaji, I think, had his best game of the year, 11 rebounds, four blocks, and then Terrence Mann, who's been inconsistent this year, drops 20 points. Um, and then you saw great uh, production from the reserves, too. 40 points outscoring um, the starters. So Kevin Gelly and Nichols both had great games. Yeah, Terrence. I love Kevin Gelly. That you? energy <laughs> from him is, is ridiculous. I'm just waiting for a, fing- for a finger wag. Oh, yeah. Matumbo's yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. nephew. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Terrence Mann becoming the 47th player in school history to score 1,000 points. And uh, I don't know how many people have torn their jerseys quite like Terrence Mann <laughs> has, but. Uh, Number, whether he's wearing number 14 or number 41, he has had his highs and lows this season, but this was definitely a game that Florida State won mostly because of him, and then that production production off the bench by Kevin Gelly. Uh, he had 15, and then A.J. Nichols, as you said, Mike, looked extremely comfortable with 16 off the bench. He was through four and three-pointers. Anthony Polite got some time in as well, but this game overall was about Terrence Mann and what he was able to do because the rest of the team didn't shoot well. The starters, excluding Mann, only shot I think five for 19 from the field. So on Ooh. paper, this should have been a game that Florida State could have lost. But I think the really good thing for Florida State, and we've been alluding to this a lot for the past few weeks, uh, what this team has been able to do without Phil Kofer has been outstanding. But now they are getting Kofer back, and they have four games against, uh, which, barring any potential collapses, should all be victories. How big is it that Kofer has this time to reintegrate with his team before the tough conference play begins in January, Stuart? Mike? <laughs> Mike. Um, Anybody? Oh. I think, you know, Phil Kofer, you saw what hap- what he did last March, um, how dominant he was um, as a wing player. I think, you know, this is the depth on this team is unlike any other that I've seen in Florida State. Um, and I think we're actually better than last year. You think um, so? I do, personally. Well, and, and also – Talking about him coming back in, you, you take a look at the next three games that Florida State, the next four games really that Florida State has. They play Southeast Missouri, then North Florida. Is that San Luis? No, who is that? Sa- yeah, St. Louis and Winthrop. Those are those are four good games to get yourself reintegrated to 
to figure out the kinks. And I mean, Phil Kofer is a great player, hands down. But I think, just considering you haven't played for the first ten games or so of the season, it's 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 a good chance for you to to kind of figure things out. And you think about this three game stretch that this team has had: UConn, you have oh, well, excuse, ex- excluding Troy, uh, Villanova, then Purdue. Those are really tough games mm-hmm. to be able to come out of that. Uh, if you include Troy, four and one. That's really crucial to what Phil Kofer is going to be expecting when he does come back in this next game. You would most certainly rather have the 4-1 to one margin uh, in terms of wins and losses instead of maybe losing to Villanova and Purdue and then you know coming around 2-2 two and two and saying, well, Florida State might be out of the top 10 if they would have lost those games. Maybe not. Maybe maybe they were hinging on the bubble. Oh, but I don't think they would. I don't think they'd be in the top 10. Oh, you don't think so? No. I, well, I was, be, I was being it was being generous. Considering but, they're, they're at the number 10 spot right now. Which is, I think, the first – excuse me. It's not the first time, but this is the soonest they've been in the top 10, I think, since 1982, I since, saw. Since uh, the first time they've been in the top 10 before January. Since, since since eighty two ni- since ninety two ninety two yeah. there was a two in there I, <laughs> I flew by the stat uh, the women were also on the road this weekend the first true road games against Mercer earlier on in the week and then St John's later in the week both of these were uh, were close games closer than I imagine Sue Semeru probably would have liked them to be for this team obviously these ladies are young and the talent is there but I think definitely not uh, I definitely think that the cracks are starting to show with this team now that they have. Uh, gotten some tougher games. What do you think, Mike? Um, yeah, you know, this women's team has been very good this year. Um, once again, uh, Sue Samarin having a great year. Um, I think, you know, th- these women are going to make another deep run in March um, like they did last year. You think so? I think they're, they're going to end up struggling down the stretch. I could see that. I, I, I'm, I'm personally really concerned uh, with how the past two games have gone. Now, these are the first, quote-unquote, true road games that this team has had. Um, and they did beat Iowa in the, uh, the the bungalow. I think it's the bungalow. That's the how you bungalow jam. The bungalow the, jam. The jungaroo jam. The jungaroo like jam. Something really, really funky, but really important. Uh, a very, of course, a very important uh, victory. But as far as this Mercer game was concerned, that that victory wow. really was the result yeah. of Nikki Yakomo, who really has been hot and cold this season. And you saw it in the next game against St. John's, uh, 27 points on 11 for 18 shooting against Mercer, three for 15. For only 12 points against St. John, apart from Kia Gillespie, uh, Akomu is really the leader of this team. She has really not found a consistent flow yet this season. If you remember, 1 for 11 shooting against LSU, which has been the only loss this year mm-hmm. thus far for the Seminoles. Well, uh, you know what? Kia Gillespie and Nikki Akamu, those two have been your veteran, have been the veteran presence on this team. And honestly, those are the, those are the two loudest voices you have on that team. And I, I think that's really important you know when we had aria on the show who's the who's the voice of women's uh basketball talking about experience the the impact that in that experience um and veteranship can have on a team goes a long way and this is a very young team valencia myers has shown some incredible colors um the game i think it was the last home game that was here and that game their opponent rather Penn State. When they played Penn State, Valencia Meyer scored twenty-seven points. You think so? Oh, she, that, sounds, had, that sounds about right. She had it was her third double-double of the season, and she's a freshman. Right. Just that. So there's a lot of talent, but it's underdeveloped talent. And I think just seeing that progress as the season goes on, 
I think it could. I, I think they'll either struggle or they'll pick it up and, and figure out the cohesion as the season goes on. It really seems like the ebb and the flow of this of this woman basketball ship, though, goes through Nikki Okomu and, and Kaya Gillespie. Right. Um, so does it concern you, Stuart, that Okomu has had these hot and cold streaks all year? Um, no, I don't think it. I don't think it'll really come to play. I mean, Coach Sam, Sue Samaru has to- done well the past couple of years, being a, a deep uh, stretch team the past couple of years. And I really don't see that changing coming down. I think, uh, you know, we, we haven't done so well the past couple of games, but only scoring 57, and we've had our struggles throughout the year. But I think the transfer in uh, Kaya Gillespie really improved a team. Like you were saying, that's a young team, so it was good to get her transfer in for some of that uh, older. I know she's a redshirt sophomore, so she's not exactly the youngest person on the team. And I think uh, I think that'll help balance out the the slumps here and there, having that more veteran talent. Defense has been the thing saving this young team from completely falling apart this year. I think, of course, the Knolls not shooting well at all in New York, only shooting 33% in that game against St. John's, but uh, the Knolls not uh, shooting well in New York at all. They were able to force 16 turnovers and only holding St. John's to 31%. Uh, shooting themselves. I think the defense has been strong, Mike, but tired legs and tired defense uh, go go hand in hand. So, so far it's looked like it's going to be the defense that helps carry this team through some tougher games when they have those bad shooting nights like we've seen thus far this season. How far do you think this defense can carry this offense if they have to? I mean, with Valencia Myers, great shot blocker, I could see that. Um... I think there was a record set for blocks in a the game. There was some. There was she some. Had five blocks against St. John's. Five blocks. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I mean, like you said, we had a lot of low scoring games, um, but we've also had some some good stretches like against Iowa and Penn State. But it'll be interesting to see what happens as we go into ACC play against teams like Notre Dame and Louisville, who are very seasoned veteran teams. Um, I'm not too positive about those matchups. Yeah, I'm not really positive maybe, either. Maybe Florida State is just a, a defensive school in a, general. A defensive school. <laughs> maybe so. I mean, because I, I can't not help but be concerned, Chris, when I see these two games, these two relatively easy games. I mean, Mercer is a, is a team that's 4-5 and five right now. Right. And you're you potentially, I, I don't know off the top of my head what the spread was, what the odds to win were in that game, but 57 to 56, I know it's on the road. I know that you do have opposition in your face, but that's kind of a concerning score for me, especially because it took really a a gargantuan game from Nikki to carry this team to a victory. No, I would agree. And, And Florida State is a team that year in and year out is projected to be a very deep team in the tournament. You know, and I understand that they're not ranked right now, but Coach Sue has done has has done a great job and you you would you would expect more against a team like Mercer but I think it's just I really think right now it's just a young team working out working out the kinks it's I a, wouldn't be too worried you're, about you're not too concerned not too concerned not right now not right not now right now once we get into January February if, if things are still looking like this if we're if there's still one point wins um that that's that's a time to to be concerned yeah, you have you have a, cu- a really tough stretch of games when it gets into uh, January, February. First ranked team, uh, as far as I can see on the schedule right now, is uh, number 24th ranked Miami on the 31st of January, of course. This all very well may change. And then you get Notre Dame uh, and NC State back-to-back at the very beginning of February, so it's going to be um, some tough 
tough stretches for this basketball team. Actually, and their first-ranked opponent is Louisville, number four. Is it? For, oh, that did that squeaked just by me. Number four <laughs> on the 24th of January. You're right, Chris. Uh, that's why uh, you are my co-host, that's, and that's why I'd, be, I'd be nothing without you. <laughs> that, uh, you're the stat guy. You do all the work while I just uh, well, sit here and talk. Listen, I'm not putting words in your mouth. This is uh, where I'm coming from. <laughs> <laughs> We are about halfway through the show at this point, so it's not quite 7.30 yet, but we are going to take a quick break. Uh, you're listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Good evening, Tallahassee. This is Dakota Gear with your Seminole segment. In FSU women's basketball, redshirt junior forward Kia Gillespie helped the Knolls take down St. John's Red Storm 57-53 behind her fourth 20-plus point game of the season. An 11-0 run, fueled by six of Gillespie's own points, helped FSU extend the lead to 14 with about six minutes left, but the Red Storm would bring it back to a three-point game with a run of their own. FSU was able to hold off the Storm, though, thanks to some strong in- inbounds plays and a couple of free throws from freshman forward Valencia Myers to ice the game. Myers also chipped in on the defensive end, 
tying her season high of five blocks with FSU recording 11 as a team. The total is the third highest in FSU history and the most in a game since November 30, 2016. FSU's defense showed out this game, forcing St. John's into shooting a paltry 17.9% from the floor in the first half. This was the lowest an FSU opponent has shot in the first since December 30, 2016. Junior Nikki Ikomu led the Knolls yet again in assists, with four on the night to go with 12 points. Gillespie finished the night off with a 22-point performance of her own. The 9-1 Knolls will get a couple days rest before taking on Creighton at home Sunday, December 16th at 2 p.m. In swimming and diving, FSU freshman Ida Hoko is heading to Hangzhou, China to represent Finland in the 14th FINA Short Course World Championships, December 11th through 16th. She'll be competing in the 50-meter breast on December 11th and the 100-meter breast on December 14th. The prelims will start each day at 9.30 a.m. with the top 16 fastest times moving on to the semis at 7, and then the top 8 competing in the championship heat the following day. Hoko posted the second quickest time in FSU history in the 100-meter breast in her first semester, clocking in at 59.03. Also good for fifth-best swim in the NCAA this year. She has also earned a silver and even two gold medals in Finland's national championships just last month, where she posted the fastest times in both the 100-meter and 200-meter breast, and even finished runner-up in the 50-meter. When reached for comment, FSU head coach Neil Studd said, She had an amazing first semester here at FSU, and she is ready to go over there and do great things. The meet will be streamed via FINA TV, which can be accessed through FINA.org. That's all for Seminole segment. Back over to Nick and Chris in the booth. Thank you so much, Dakota, and welcome back to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. That was Dakota Greer with the Time Artist Tradition, the Seminole segment, doing a fantastic job with those stories and doing an even better job pronouncing some names. We were blown away in the booth here. Uh, beautifully articulate for, for a, a very big guy. Uh, very, very well done. Well, last week on the show, of course, we talked about the breaking news that was Walt Bell leaving Florida State to become the new head coach over at University of Massachusetts. And the reaction of the pan- uh, of the panel last week was more or less worried about what the aftermath of the premature departure, as many people have come to call it, uh, how that would affect the recruiting and such. I was under the uh, flag and the impression that this was probably going to not be good in the long run because whoever Taggart decided to hire, the offense is going to have to go back to the drawing board. But we never really got into who that mystery person to replace Bell might be. Of course, since the news broke, a couple of uh, front runners have already gone off the table. Cliff Kingsbury has become the offense coordinator at USC. Uh, and Hugh Freeze was in the running just long enough for him to become the head coach at Liberty University, which uh, <laughs> there is some comedy in that situation by itself. But it's uh, it's been a week since Bell left, uh, metaphorically. I don't know about physically. I don't I don't watch Bell. The name doesn't ring a bell. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't watch him all the time. Hell, I could hardly watch his offense. Uh, but with that being said, there are a few uh, candidates that Taggart is targeting for the job. One of them being Kendall Bryles, who was the offensive coordinator at Houston, who, if you remember, had an extremely good offense this year. Supposedly, Taggart and Bryles were supposed to meet yesterday. Bryles also in the running to become Tennessee's new offensive coordinator, so I'm sure former co-host Clint Island has some conflictions about that. Uh, Also in the running is former North Carolina coach Larry Fedora. If Bryles doesn't go to Florida State, Fedora is the next man supposedly. Uh, Gentlemen, out of the names just mentioned, who is your pick for this position at this point? I'd actually like to throw in a name that wasn't mentioned. Okay, go ahead. And that's Jeff Scott. 
who's the offensive coordinator for Clemson, um, which is interesting because he runs a very similar offense. It's, it's a much more spread out offense um, and is, is, I think, would be a great fit here just in that, you know, Taggart has expressed interest and admiration in what Jeff Scott does at Clemson. Obviously, you look at what they do and yeah. Clemson's Clemson. Well, do you really think that Jeff Scott is going to leave what he has in Clemson to come to a struggling offense in Florida State? Well, I mean, because that's the real question. Well, yeah, but if there's a spot where and the truth of the matter is, I think Florida State has the and we have the the recruiting class has the potential talent to do some offensive wonders. And I think if Jeff Scott is looking to spread that football legacy around, I don't think Florida State's a bad place to start. Mike, um, I'm gonna have to go with Kendall Bryles. I mean, as the son of Art Bryles. Uh, you know, as you said, he's from Houston, but he also spent time at Florida Atlantic with Lane Kiffin and uh, before that with his dad at Baylor um, when they had all the scandals going on for mm-hmm. that. So, I mean, I don't know too much about him. I don't feel too good about him off the field, but that's not up to me. That's up to l- l- the let university. Me just, I think it's the off-field scandals. that That's a big reason why he's not coming to Florida State mm-hmm. because considering how this past season has gone, Taggart is already under a lot of fire. I think bringing in, I, I read, I read through some of the articles and the things that were mentioned. Some of the things that Kendall Bryles himself said to some of these recruits, Florida State doesn't need that kind of PR fire. Yeah, I would, I, I would agree with that. Before I get to you, Stuart, I think that is the big reason why I don't think Bryles, even though he's the front runner, even though he's an offensive mastermind, I think, I think Fedora is going to end up being the offensive coordinator for Florida State. Because if you remember, he was he was in line to become the offensive coordinator somewhat ten years ago, um, before a bunch of other things happened, and of course, uh, things led to another, and he didn't end up coming to Florida State. But I think it's 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 not the on field stuff that people have reservations about Bryles. It's not about fo- it's not about the football. I mean, he was really close to the Baylor sexual assault scandals, uh, though not directly linked to it. And of course, some of the things that he said to recruits, some of the things that he said openly. It's just not a good time for Florida State to be even be willing to risk uh, some of the, the PR that would come from hiring somebody like that. What do you think, Stuart? Um, not only on top of the PR scandals and just all the problematic history with uh, his father and everything that happened at uh, Baylor, but also he is uh, expensive. He's one of the highest paid non-Power 5 assistants in the country, and if FSU buy him out, bought him out, they would have to pay 50% of his remaining money he he has on his contract, which is $2.1 million. It's so, an expensive buy. That's an expensive buy. And going back to the idea of Elliott becoming the offensive coordinator and creating his legacy, I could see a situation where he sees uh, the situation at FSU as rocky and maybe a, a pathway for him to become a future head coach if he does well at FSU and Willie Taggart does not stick around too long. That's interesting. And I think I think this decision is going to have a gigantic input on how long Taggart stays here. And I remember when you were on the show earlier this year, uh, Stuart, you saying that you didn't expect uh, Taggart to remain past this season. And I uh, think the what happened this season as one of the worst seasons in FSU football history mm-hmm. can uh, attest to that. So, one of the two – one of the – one correct predictions I made at the beginning of the year. <laughs> so, so where where do you stand on that now? So, he, obviously, they, there is no uh, rumors that he is going anywhere at this moment. What's what's your how big of a leash are you giving him? Um, right, we lost the bowl streak. Right, we had the biggest loss, tied for the biggest loss in school history. Mm-hmm. That too. 
Lost to Miami. Yep. Lost to Florida. Yep. It it's a it was a tough year tough to be year. a Florida State Seminole. Uh, I think the school demands more of him as a coach, and I don't think if we have another year next year, anywhere close, if not substantially better, that he will be our coach at the end of next year. I would agree. I think this is a, a fool me once, shame on you, a fool me twice, shame on me sort of situation. I think I, I, I've, I've stood by Taggart this season because I understand you need, you need, your, fir- you need your first to get your second. Um, and, I mean, considering how the first year went, it's not great. But it's your first year. You you, you got to make some improvements, and I, I agree. If there's not some sub, some substantial improvement, uh, we Florida State could be in the run for uh, for another head coach. And then too, some of the mistakes we were making just playing football under him were all coaching errors. Like when we played Florida, and we had less too too few men on the field, and Florida saying something mm-hmm. about it, and then we have too many men on the field. Just enormous coaching errors. Yep. Very sloppy coaching. So when you think about how much this offensive coordinator position means for this football team. Obviously, you don't need to tell anybody how bad Florida State's offense was this season. And as I said at the beginning of, of, the, of this segment, that you know I was, I was very afraid last week that this new offensive coordinator is going to hit a reset button on this offense, and it's going to be literally the biggest differential and varied results that you could possibly get. It could go anywhere from much improved to even worse than we've already seen, just because of how many offensives these players have had to go have had to go through but also the recruiting class that Taggart is going to bring in obviously national signing day or at least the early signing day is December 19th and we are not going to be be here for a lot of that stuff to talk about we'll we'll probably have to pick some of it up after the fact on January I believe the 6th or whenever uh, the second semester starts but just thinking about how important that recruit class is and also thinking about the image that Taggart wants to keep there have been some rumblings over the past couple of weeks that Josh Ball potentially, or at least intends to come back to this football team. And that is a name that makes every Florida State fan take a big inhale and a deep, heavy sigh afterwards. Well, explain. Well, I mean... Not, not, I'm just I saying ha- for those who maybe don't know. Well, I mean, there's a bunch of abuse stuff around the name of Josh Ball, and especially with how prominent abuses in all sports right now you th- if you think about recently what happened with kareem hunt right it, i don't care what you say sports overlap in that aspect it is a real relevant issue right now and it was inexcusable years ago it's inexcusable now you cannot have this man walk back on the football field doing what he did that is probably the worst look that you could ever have if you're willie tiger and the fact that he's intending to come back and there's news that he's intending to come back is kind of really shocking to me sure no i, I would agree i think florida state in general has had a history with certain troubled uh, football football players in that, you know, they've had some questionable off-the-field situations. Um, you know, I, th- I think it also kind of puts the, the, the Kendall Bry- Bryles conversation into perspective, too, um, if certain decisions are made. It, it, it's I think it, it is ultimately going to be a decision of, of image and what Florida State wants to put forth, especially in the kind of, in the era that we live in now in the United States. It's yeah, and, it's it's a decision. And that was my initial thought too is well if they're going to have excuse me. If they're going to have little to no qualms about hiring Kendall Bryers who was surrounded by that scandal stuff, they should have no qualms about bringing back Josh Ball, which obviously they should. So mm-hmm. logically just thinking and I agree with you Chris, there is no way that either of them end up at Florida State anytime soon. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, you just got to think, at what point does Florida State want to sell their soul um, for some wins rather than taking the moral high ground and just putting their foot down and saying, we're not going to stand up for this. We shouldn't have even interviewed Hugh Freeze and all he did, or even Kendall Bryles, and giving Josh Ball a second chance. I just... I'm disappointed. Which which brings into perspective, you, you talked about, well, when is Florida State going to sell their souls for wins? And you think about all the stuff that happened when Jameis Winston was still at Florida State and how that was viewed in the outside world. To have Taggart go through what Jimbo and Jameis did in those years, 2013, 2014, that cannot happen if this football program wants to turn itself around. So moving on to uh, general college football world, the Heisman was named this past weekend, and I was very happy to be correct. Kyler Murray <laughs> is uh, the 2018 Heisman, uh, even though he is now a signed baseball player, which yep. I think, I mean, when you think about, you know, dual sport athletes, automatically Deion Sanders comes to mind. Right, you Deion think about Sanders. Florida State. Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson. Yeah, and two football, uh, two football baseball mm-hmm. guys. Where where does his legacy on college football leave, Chris? He has the Heisman. He could, He has the opportunity Although Brandon Spencer says maybe a little bit more of an opportunity than I do, he has the opportunity to beat the number one team in the nation, Alabama Crimson Tide, in the, I think it's the Orange Bowl. I think they're playing, is it Orange or Cotton? Which one do they have? I think it's the Orange Bowl. I think Bowl. it's the Orange Bowl. What, what, what is his leg- legacy on the sport? Well, considering my, my limited knowledge on the, on the history of college football, <laughs> um, I honestly don't, don't see that great an impact. It, I think if he can, if he can defeat Alabama, and lead Oklahoma to a championship. I think that shoots because uh, you're a Heisman winner and a champion. So, so you don't year. think you don't think dropping the dropping the metaphorical mic bomb on hey, I've got a Heisman trophy and I'm also a first round pick in uh, well, no, Major cause, League Baseball. Because I mean, you, you you take a look at other. Uh, Jameis was also a dual a dual <laughs> sport athlete, uh, stuck with football. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> to mixed results. To <laughs> right, I I don't. I don't know. I, I don't see it going all that far. I think it, I, I love seeing Heisman players play different sports. Like uh, Tim Tim Tebow. I mean, Grant, Tebow's got his own issues that he's working out as well <laughs> in the Major League uh, Baseball. Batting two twenty one in single A. Right. Did you see? I, I think it was ESPN who posted like four great dual. Uh, was it dual sport athletes? Dual sport Tim athletes. Tebow was in there. Yeah. With Bo Jackson, uh, Deion Sanders. Yeah, that's kind and, of. A... And Kyler Murray was already put in there as well. I mean, I, like, I would put I would yet. put Michael Jordan over Tim Tebow <laughs> in that situation. Or <laughs> in Steph that list. Curry with his golf career. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I will say this, and the, and and I asked about his legacy, and I and I guess I I more was looking for his image mm-hmm. as a player when it comes to college football because I I, I and I want to include this because this is something that personally uh, ticked me off a lot, which after receiving the award on a Saturday night, I believe it was Saturday. There, what he he posted the next morning, an apology for found tweets that uh, included, I think, homophobic language in them, mm-hmm. and my my beef wasn't necessarily with what it was, but these this happened when he was 15, and this this ticked me off because well, these were obviously on Twitter before he won the Heisman Trophy, right? Before he was in college. Before he was in college, so. Somebody took the time after he won the Heisman Trophy to find and dig and find those things that he said when he was 15, which, mind you, he's 15. It's not like he said these last year. 
I mean, if, if out of the collective group in this room, if we went back and had things that we said, you know, publicly. Careful, everybody. Yeah, things said publicly, like things that you know. You're. I, I remember things said like in fifth grade, where it's just like, well, that's just a word, you know. And I'm trying to get move, move past the point here, and you know, I'm walking on eggshells, but because it's it's very difficult. But it's like this this isn't something that should have happened to him. I don't feel well, like. Okay. I agree with you to an extent. I, I think I think again Walk on eggshells. I know. We're, we're living, walking on no, no, eggshells here. Like, we're living in an era where you, you just can't excuse the whole boys will be boys mentality. Right. Anymore, of course. Right? And I'm I, not. And I, I agree like I think you had it you had it right when you when you started when you said you don't have an issue with the thing with him getting in trouble for the things that he said. But you're seeing it happen more often where these players are getting picked on thing on Things that they said when they didn't know any better. Again, that doesn't that in no way excuses what they said. But I think the student athlete of 2018 needs to have better sense to go back. Because obviously, if you're if you're in college, you're not allowed to sign with an agent. Your agent should go back and tell you, okay, go through your entire social media feed, delete anything like that. Um, but if, if I'm being honest, like the, the the student athlete of 2018 needs to have better sense to not have that stuff still up, because I, I can guarantee you, Kyler Murray is probably not the same guy he was in 20 when when he was 15 years old. Are any of us? And uh, that and that and that's really the crux of my argument here is mm-hmm. that, I mean, and it's not the argument that well, boys will be boys. Of course, anything like that you, you should not say, right? Especially in this day and age. But I'm more, I'm more under the 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 anger that it's just. It's it's more like it's just really, mm-hmm. like we've all said bad things, all of us. But and see, that's the power of social media. That's the power of social that's, media. That's what it does. Yeah. I think that's I think that's what why people don't trust the media as much because when you know a kid works his whole life uh, to receive an award that not even eighty five people have won in the history of America, and then you wait, like you said, Nick, until that point, until he's announced and he's giving a speech and it's leaked. I, there's just not much trust for the media in that and. There's a lot of respect that's lost, but I don't want to, like, neglect the fact that he had such a great season playing Mm -hmm. 4,053 yards, 51 total touchdowns, completely, like, the perfect dual-threat quarterback. He edged out Tagovailoa because of a rough game in the SEC championship. Kyler Murray deserved it. His family was great. It was a great night for him, besides the tweets. Absolutely, absolutely. Moving on to uh, some other uh, college football news, Urban Meyer is hanging it up, or so to, or, or so it appears. Uh, we've heard this before. <laughs> we have we have heard this before. But Urban Meyer is uh, at this point in time retiring from the uh, the head coaching position at Ohio State University um, under the guise that he cannot put any more stress on his body. I believe he has a cyst on his brain. I believe it, maybe that's. Is that what it is? I'm not quite sure. Um, either way, uh, Urban Meyer retiring uh, apparently from football i asked the legacy question about kyler murray now i'm going to extend to you Stuart, the legacy question for urban meyer is 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 he one of the best coaches of all time he has the best win percentage at ohio state the best win percentage the best win percentage i think he has left a legacy already he left a legacy at florida he left a legacy at ohio state he's a he's an amazing coach and it's uh it's sad that his health i think i think you're right it is assist and uh, I think he had to sit out a lot during the season for migraines. And this was kind of just uh, – it's it's good to see him go on a high note. I'm not a 
<laughs> big fan of Florida, so I don't mind what he did uh, in Gainesville. But I don't know. He's a great coach. He's a great coach. Mike, do you, do you agree with that? Um, sure, he's left a great legacy on the football uh, and, field. And, but... and before before you go on, I hate to hear, I'm asking the Michigan fan here. What? No, I'm, not no, I'm sorry. That's, that's Jake. Jake. That's Jake. That's I'm a Michigan sorry. fan. No. Um, like I said, great legacy on the field, but he's had two really bad scandals. Mm-hmm. Um, one with Zach Smith, and then you've coached a team with uh, Tim Tebow and Aaron Hernandez, where you let Tim Tebow um, stand out front and be your poster boy, but all those crimes committed off the field. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly tainted, but great coach on the field. Okay, but now I, uh, I think it goes back to the image question is, what stands out more? Is it is it just the winning percentage, or is it also, like, does the scandal now put a mask and that's, on that as well? And that's where I'm going with that, because, yeah. of course, you know, it, it, for serious health problems, of course, we all wish Urban Meyer well, and we right. hope that, you know, he, he has a recovery um, and that he does uh, feel better. Um, of course, it's a very serious situation, but I kind of get the feeling that this was kind of not the catalyst to stepping down or retiring, but I think this is this was more just like, well, I'm waiting. You know, there's all these scandals at the very beginning of the season, and that was not handled well at all. Mm-hmm. We talked we talked about that for a couple weeks on the show anyways. Yeah. But I kind of just had this nagging feeling in the back of my head that's like, ah, he's using this kind of as like a scapegoat. It's like, well, yeah. now now that now that, you know, my health is declining and this happened, maybe I can shift some of the and I'm gonna use the word blame here. Maybe that's not the exact word. It, it, it's the it's the angle. It's the angle of which he chooses to go out. Right. So that's why I'm asking the question, what does Urban Meyer's image, what what image does he leave? And for me, I do remember the days very vividly where he, he left Florida and then he winds up at Ohio State. What's to say that he won't do it again? I kind of what if he shows up at U S. What if what if uh, Cliff Kingsbury washes out in USC and he ends up at USC? What if he's the next Florida State offensive coordinator? What if he's coaching <laughs> the Miami Dolphins? Yeah. <laughs> NFL, you gotta shoot big. Yeah, who knows? That, who that knows? was a joke, by the way. That the, right. the OC was was it, for those listening. You, right. you can't see my smile. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't see his his his, his big grin on his face right, right now. Right. Um, There's always a big grin on this face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I don't like I already said I kind of feel like this is a bit of a distraction for everything else that's gone on in his in his career as a football coach. I, I think it was a mutual agreement between Meyer and Ohio State. Okay. Yes, your health is declining. There's also that thing that kind of happened at the beginning of the semester. That that so. isn't exactly quite handled all the way. Right. Exactly. So we'll we'll we'll. This is our way of basically firing you without firing you for what happened earlier. <laughs> About five minutes left in the show. Uh, it's time for the we're going to skip. We're going to move around to the NFL here. It's time for an I skipped it segment. And if you don't know, the I skipped it segment is a playoff of uh, one Skip Bayless, who is known for his very outlandish and often incorrect hot takes. And uh, the chance for the panel to kind of make fun of me for some really bad mistakes earlier in the year. And earlier in the year, during the uh, the NFL midseason awards, I said that the Carolina Panthers uh, were a, a team on the rise. They were sitting at six and two at the time, and I said that they were going to easily, uh, uh, easily capture a wild card position. And now they have lost pretty much every single game since then. Uh, what do you think, guys? Was I wrong? Are you going to make fun of me, or is there some redemption here? No, I don't think there's any redemption. No redemption. That's the first time. This is the first time that Chris has not given me some sort of redemption. Well, I mean, you take a look at how Cam Newton's. uh, Granted, he he's he's working with an injury here, 
But I just don't think there's any way that they're working their way back. I think Carolina's done the season. Uh, they call him Scam Newton for a reason. <laughs> um, not not having a good year. Well, I mean, it's all right. But I think the it's, team it's, overall is uh, just not performing up to par. You know, the five straight losses doesn't help either. <laughs> and then you're in a division with New Orleans. And Tampa Bay's yeah. lingering around. Atlanta having a bad year, but they can beat anybody. Good. Yeah, exactly. Stuart. They Will just lost me? to the Browns. I know. <laughs> oh my That's God. all you need to say, Stuart. That's all. <laughs> they just well, lost to the but Browns. But my thing is, how long are we going to still be able to say that? Well, it's like, well, they lost to the Browns. It's like the Browns You're aren't right. the worst team in the NFL anymore. Like, I think not even one season away from a playoff. One one wow. season away from. Okay, well I'll remember Sorry, that. I'll remember. <laughs> I'll remember that. that I'm, gonna, I'm gonna write that <laughs> down in my notes. Um, Tweet it. <laughs> Speaking of NFL news, though, listen. You, y'all know I'm a Saints fan. Who that? Um, but I think the world, the the NFL world, became became Miami Dolphins fans this this past weekend. It's about dang time you all came to the bandwagon. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the eight and eight bandwagon, everybody. The, oh the, Actually, I, I have a story about that game. Okay. So so I, I'm an RA and I was trying to take a nap before setting for finals, and I got a knock at my door. Right, and it's two of my residents. They're like. It sounds like there's a group of guys upstairs that are just jumping around. It sounds like they're exercising. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I'm kind of frustrated. I was in the middle of a nap. So I go and I knock on this on this guy's door, and he answers. And he's like, hey, what's up? I'm like, you've gotten some noise complaints downstairs. And he looks at me, smiling, laughing, and he's like, dude, I'm so sorry. But the Dolphins just beat the Patriots, and I couldn't help but celebrate. <laughs> like, they, they, they said it sounded like people were lifting weights or jumping on a trampoline. So... <laughs> This guy was crazy excited, understandably. Understandably, because I don't know. Beating the Patriots isn't. It's it's like winning the Super Bowl <laughs> for us. Uh, it, it's it's been a long time. It's it's been eighty four years. It's not been that long, but <laughs> it, it feels that long sometimes. The perennial eight and eight team, which who knows now they're seven and six. Uh, they're almost there to mediocrity, but. Uh, <laughs> I, I've always been a Dolphins fan, and I always will be a Dolphins fan, and it's good to see. It. This is probably I. I said to you when this happened, I have never seen a play like that work in my lifetime. Uh, yeah. I do remember, and Jenny uh, on Twitter might remember this as well, I do remember when the Dolphins played the Ravens a couple years ago and the Ravens were had a gigantic play like that and they actually scored, but it was called back on a penalty and the Dolphins won that game. And she says she doesn't <laughs> want to talk about it. Uh, we got a minute left in the show and I did say that it was the potluck show, so we do have one more thing to quickly touch on. Bryce Harper uh, is the big name in uh, baseball free agency. Now, I was talking to Chris before the show, and he's under the impression that the Dodgers will lose Yasiel Puig. Uh, if that does happen, does that make L.A. the number one destination for Bryce Harper? I don't know that it makes him the number one. I don't, I don't think it makes L.A. the number one destination for Bryce Harper, but I think it makes a great fit for him. Having that having that gap in right field, and uh, the, the what's so amazing about Puig is, is his intensity and his love for the game and just how entertaining he is to watch. And I feel like Bryce Harper, I don't think anybody's at Puig's level, but P- Harper plays with that level of intensity that LA fans have come to know in right field. So, uh, just a quick lightning around the table. So, if it's not LA, where's his, where's his biggest destination? St. Louis. St. Louis. Philly. Philly? Go Mets. Go Mets. <laughs> Oh and. my God! Okay, hey, watch out for the for the NL East this year. They watch are looking, out for Atlanta. Atlanta wants to spend some money to pitching. They are looking scary good. Scary good, and uh, that's about all the time we have for Tomahawk on this 
this December night. So this is the last time that I will be here until the new year. So with that being said, on behalf of Chris, on behalf of Stuart, on behalf of Mike, Jenny, and Dakota, Sebastian in the booth, we wish you a very happy holidays, a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate. Thank you so much for tuning in to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State, new release.